Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of Contextualize here with Pastor Jim and AJ. Good morning, AJ. And is this not a morning where we're reminded that um, we study God's Word and not just the culture around us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I was thinking, um, right as I was turning on the, the phone to record here, I don't know when last time me and you recorded one of these. It's been like a month yeah, since me man. and you have just been sitting Spreading here doing Spreading the this. wealth. So, <laughs> so it's good to be uh, sitting here with you, and we've been talking about all sorts of things already this morning. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to get back into Acts with you. Yeah, be good. It's necessary. So um, this morning, we, we've been a little bit all over Acts past couple of weeks, but uh, this morning we're going to look really from Acts 6, verse 8, all the way almost to the end of chapter 7. Um, so it's a big section. Uh, we'll, we'll, we won't. There's a ton of stuff in here we won't touch on um, for a second time, but um, this is, is Stephen's speech uh, right before uh, he's martyred. Um, it's really his sermon uh, might be a better way to think about it, and so... Um, you know, I, I think that'll be, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's a, it's a great sermon to, to look at here. But um, Jim, could you just, you know, kind of where are we in the story before we dive in? Yeah, we've gone out of order in some of our podcasts. So uh, let me go back toward the latter half of chapter five, uh, maybe all of five, right? So God's a God of glory. He's a God of holiness. And so you see this, you know, the church is growing and experiencing Jesus's continued work. But then there was that lie of Ananias and Sapphira, and Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, you got to get that R in uh, there. Why do I say that? I don't I know. Have no it's, I love it. Uh, so I can laugh at myself when I'm listening later. Ananias and Sapphira, are um, <laughs> they pay the price. God destroys them for their dishonesty. And it's just reminding the church that you're a repented community set apart for God's glory. And then you see the apostles immediately after that, um, they are going to actually be arrested and God's going to set them free in the middle of the night and they're going to be back in the temple proclaiming the gospel. And so you see this amazing set of verses where you, you see there's discipline that God brings, but you see the church growing. And then you see what we looked at, Mike Renault and I talked a little bit about it. Uh, the earliest deacons were called in the first part of chapter 6. So now you can see some structural elements of the early church coming together. Um, so you've got the church growing, you've got God's discipline, you have structural elements of deacons, and um, maybe the one contextual thing I'll draw that is immediately preceding this, uh, a couple things. Verse 7 of chapter 6, the word of God continues to increase. The number of disciples are multiplying greatly. God is doing an amazing work. He's even structuring servants among his people for the growth that he's bringing. And then we know that we're about to look at Stephen's speech. Um, and Stephen being seized, you know, obviously before he speaks. But I want to just link back to the description of Stephen that has come to us in chapter 6, 5, and again in chapter uh, 6, verse 8. That Stephen is the only deacon described with more words than just his name, there in chapter uh, 6, verse 5 and 6. And we read that Stephen was a man chosen by the people to be a deacon, and he's full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Nothing else is said of the other guys, mm -hmm. but that's a brief description of Stephen. And then we read in verse 8, Stephen, when he carried forward the ministry God gave him, he was full of grace and power. This is not just a janitor servant sort of a quiet guy in the background right so that's a lot but that's no that's good and a man uh led by the spirit filled with the spirit following after the lord and serving others um 
That's good. And so chapter seven, um, his, his sermon here takes up 52 verses of the chapter. And I think, I think that's the longest sermon in the book of Acts as, as far as number of verses, um, goes. And so, um, you might think if you were to just sit down and go read chapter seven, um, that, that's, that's a, quite a bit of words there. And it, you know, you can kind of be thinking, well, why does he cover all this history? What's he doing? What's his point? Like, how, how do I piece together all of his, his argumentation in his sermon here? And, and context helps. And that's, right, that's something we like to talk about here, but context helps a lot. And so if you look before he starts, kind of the scene that starts this whole, whole ordeal, um, from verse eight to verse 15, uh, Stephen is, is doing signs and wonders, and uh, if you look in verse 10, it says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so they can't, they can't combat him with argument and word. They can't, they can't refute what he's saying from he's the scriptures. He's like mic drop deacon guy. Like, mic drop Stephen, that's good. Yeah, mic drop Stephen. <laughs> and so what do they do? Well, in verse 11, they, they gather up some other men, uh, who are, they instigate them, and they're going to bring these false accusations uh, so they can't they can't beat him on his own turf with on the scriptures. So they're just going to bring some false witnesses against him, and this is key to understand his sermon. So verse thirteen, the false witnesses accuse Stephen of two things. They say this man Stephen never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. And so, Jim, let me just ask you, like. Why is, I mean, that's a big deal because it leads into a sermon and then his death. So, like, why is that accusation such a big deal? Well, from Stephen's standpoint, you know, what did he know? What did they know of Jesus' testimony, right? When Jesus came, he said, you know, you used to worship God through this temple and in this place, and that's where God was. But ultimately, I am the temple. I am, I am God's presence among you. And then the Holy Spirit's going to be given to each of you. And you have, you're a living temple with God's Holy Spirit in you. So uh, to have them blasphemously, falsely declare that Stephen was speaking against the holy place of God. To Stephen, the holy place of God is Jesus. Mm. And there's a history of progressive revelation as to how the temple points to God's presence, points to Jesus being the incarnate Son of God and God's glory in the flesh. So that that's a pretty important thing. And then, of course, God's law... God's law was not set aside with Christ. Christ fulfilled yeah. all the aspects of God's law, but they are going to send a lie that says Stephen doesn't respect God's holy law. Stephen and he's going to need to give word to Jesus being the law and suffering the curse of the law and all the ways in which the gospel does depend on God's law. It does not dismiss it at all. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. Man, I had a thought, and then you stopped talking, and it went away. But. Um, so, so they, they say this to him, and, and, and what I wanted to do is, is just trace really quickly through his sermon. Um, so again, as Jim just said, it's, it's about the temple, it's about the law, um, and, and those accusations are the same things they said about Jesus. Um, so Jesus is in trouble, he's in trouble for it, um, but Stephen's sermon is a defense against this accusation. And so I'm just going to quickly go through this, hitting a couple of verses and highlighting how it relates to the idea of temple and God's presence. And so Stephen starts with Abraham. In verse 2, we read that the God of glory appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. So again, they're talking about the temple, and Stephen goes, all Abraham, that the God of glory appeared to him in Mesopotamia. Not even in the land. And before there was an actual temple. Before, absolutely. And so we go there, verse 9, he says, in the patriarchs of Solomon to Egypt, but God was him. So he traces the patriarchs, goes to Egypt, but God is still there. God's there with him. Uh, if you, he goes on to, you know, they come into the land, 
or sorry, he goes on to Moses. And uh, in verse 30, uh, we read, Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness in a flame of fire in a bush. And so now we have God appearing to Moses on Mount Sinai. Uh, again, before there's a temple, before there's a tabernacle. Uh, we, we move on to verse 44. And uh, we read, uh, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it. And so then, like, we begin to see the structure. Or, the tabernacle proceeded the temple. And so that's then followed in verse 47. When they get in the land, when they have a king, they build the temple. God says, no, your son's going to build it. In verse 47, Stephen says, Solomon built house. And so he, he follows, really, most of the old history, talking about God's presence with his people. And that, that ends up being in the with uh, Solomon. Um, but then he comes to really turning point in verse 48. He says, yet the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands. And then he quotes Isaiah 66. Where God said, heaven's throne, the earth is my footstool. But I dwell in the heavens, the earth is just my footstool. What kind of house can you build for God like that? What kind of structure can you really build for a God like that? And so that's, that's his argument. He goes um, through all of that here. Um, but If I can interject, ahead, AJ. Yeah, jump it, in there. It's important that Stephen doesn't say the tabernacle and the temple were a bad idea. Absolutely, yeah. He doesn't do that. He's he's progressing from the days of Abraham all the way through. You did a great job just pulling out some verses to show this maturing revelation of God's presence to the point that he quotes from Isaiah 66 and says, Heaven's God's throne, the earth is his footstool. You, there's no house that could contain him. To then have that lead to, it's not the temple that's an issue. It's not anything... Close to God's revelation, that's the issue. It's your stiff-necked mm. unwillingness to see mm-hmm. that when Jesus came, the Holy One of Eternity was present with you. And yeah. He's greater than the physical location of the temple. So yeah. there's no shade thrown in the direction of the temple. That's right. important. It's right. just the unfolding revelation that they couldn't see. That's the issue Stephen's raising. Yeah. Yeah, and they, in, in some ways we can say they, they missed the point. Like, they, they think it's about stones and Godhead. Um, God had commanded them. It, you know, if we go back and look at it, Moses made the tabernacle according to the pattern that was revealed to him. So God gave that instruction. Um, but they're seeming to think that God is confined to that temple, that he's only there. They can, there's maybe a sense of like, we've got God in this box and he's here. But then God in, in Isaiah says, like, you can't confine me to that. I'm everywhere. I've chosen to make myself especially mm-hmm. present in my glory with you through the temple. But then when Jesus comes, Jesus says, you know, destroy the temple in three days, I'll rebuild it. Like he points to himself as the very temple, the yeah. very presence of God. I'm enamored with Stephen's instruction here that um, he doesn't do what we tend or we see a lot in our day. Um, he doesn't just argue with them and say, well, here's how I see it and explain with his own words. Yeah. It is incredibly important that he goes back and traces biblical theology in, a, in his words. Um, and I think that's a challenge to us as the church. When people will say, well, hey, you're a Christian. What do you think God thinks of the Jews? Uh, you know, historically, the Jews, Israel. Uh, what do you think of this religion, that religion? It is so easy for us to be like, well, you know what I feel? I feel that Jesus is better. I feel that, like, you know, yeah. I I experienced him when, you know, I realized that I was guilty of sin. And let me just tell you what I feel. Stephen doesn't do that here. Yeah. Stephen says, let me instruct you in what God has revealed. Right. And wh- he's going to bring it to a culminating point to say, 
it is then pivotal what you believe about Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. The wisdom of God, the temple of God in the flesh. But he doesn't just use his own words or his own feelings to try to get his opponents to understand how deeply he believes what he believes. No, he goes all the way back and he's actually instructing them with his own conviction. Yeah. He's leading them. This is a really long sermon introduction. Yeah. <laughs> to, a, to a very firm point. Where... You could say his text is Isaiah 66, verse 49 and 50. Yeah. That's and the rest point. of it is an introduction to say, you're not understanding this. Right. Right. Let me ask you this. So for, for us but believers in Christ today, why does that matter? Why, why, why does all of this talk about temple, about God's glory, God's dwelling, God's presence? Well, why does that, how does that impact us today? Depth. I think it's easy when the wind blows for a tree with very shallow roots to just get blown over. Um, as I recently shared, I think with our elders, I've just been doing a lot more reading from my own year-long Bible reading plan and whatnot, going back and reading all the prophet Jeremiah and Ezekiel and going into the Old Testament and just kind of tracing the story. And a depth of confidence occurs in the heart of a believer when we realize what God's revelation has been unfolding over time. And in the midst of that time, nations have risen and fallen. I mean, just again, from other prophets, Babylon's going to come, mm -hmm. Babylon's going to do mm -hmm. what God wants Babylon to do, and Babylon's going to fall to Assyria. Yeah. Assyria's going to come, Assyria's going to do what God wants Assyria to do, Assyria's going to fall. In the midst of that time, God is working out a purpose for his people. And yeah. so when Stephen can so quickly stretch out all these generations of the story and weave it together to, to build up to a conviction, this is a man, he's about to pay the price of his own life. Yep. He's going to die a martyr, yep. but he doesn't die an unstable man hoping his circumstances change. Yeah. And I am personally just... He dies the most confident man that we can imagine here. Yo, like we skipped over this. Maybe AJ was going to go back to it, but the very last verse of chapter 6 says that all those people that were waiting on Stephen to talk were gazing at him. The whole council is just looking at this man, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I mean, not, maybe the only parallel I could think of is when the transfiguration, you see, you know, the face of Moses uh, up on the mount, excuse yeah. me, of Mount Sinai. Yeah, and Moses yeah. came down, his face was radiant, and was he glowing. didn't realize yeah. that his face glowed, but everybody else could see it. Yeah. Um, this is the most confident man. Yeah. And so, yeah, depth of confidence is what well, I think is at stake here for us. Well, that's beautiful to point that out. And, and even after what we read, when, you know, the, the people just get mad and, and they're going to they're gonna murder Stephen here. But in verse 56, he says, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So you have this picture before where his face looks like an angel, kind of his glorious, glowing face. You have this picture afterwards where he looks up and he says, I see Jesus in the very throne temple of God in the heavens. And then he has this sermon, this long sermon in the middle, talking about God's presence, not being so much in confined to a, a box of, of stones, but God's presence is with his people through his son and he's building his temple. And so, but Stephen is experiencing that in this moment. Um, and one more thing I'll point to, and this is, this has just been neat for me to see in this text uh, through a book I've been reading recently. But um, when, after talking about Moses, uh, he talks about Aaron and the golden calf incident where, where the people ask Aaron and he makes a, a calf 
uh, for them to worship. And in verse 41, it says, They made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. So the emphasis that Stephen lays there is on, like, we made this thing. We're rejoicing in the works of our hands. Now, if you skip down to verse 48, Stephen says, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, made by human hands. And this echoes Daniel 2, uh, 34, but it also, uh, we find it in, in Hebrews, uh, and this is just, I think, super encouraging uh, to think about. He- Hebrews nine twenty four. the author there says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, so not just into the earthly temple that we made according to God's plan, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And so, and then you, you find verses in Hebrews that talk about um, uh, verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And so we see this picture of Stephen in the face of death, in, in, in the midst of getting hit by stones. He's confident that he is approaching God in his throne room because of Jesus. And we get that same thing it's a, as believers yeah, in Jesus. As I listen to you describe it, and I'm looking at the words here, and I know that, um, you know, Stephen at the end, his last words are the same words Jesus prays at the cross. Yeah. Lord, receive my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You ask me, what does this do to us? Or this? Th- there's two things that I, I feel are a pretty strong takeaway. Stephen knows the story. Mm-hmm. Christian, if you don't know the story, then you're probably very caught up in the complexity of the story that's swirling around us. That story may be what's Hmm. going on in your home. That story may be what's going on in your workplace. Certainly that story may be what's going on right now in our undecided election. Certainly maybe the story that's related to a pandemic. Um, But if at Stephen's core, the story that he knew best was the story that leads up to the sun. Second thing, so he knew the story. Uh-huh. Second thing that's very apparent is this man saw the son. Yeah. He saw his Savior continually. Yeah. So if the story's about the Savior, I need to know the story while everything else around me feels so shaky. Secondarily, I won't take my eyes off the center of the story, which is the son. And I see in verse 54 the amount of rage that was against him. The text says that the people ground their teeth at him. I know a lot of people grinding their teeth against the church right now. Mm. I guess sometimes I feel people grinding their teeth inside the church about things that don't seem... Well, I... How much does my joy in life, my confidence in God's work have to do with somebody else grinding their teeth and anger at me? Mm-hmm. Because maybe I sinned or because they don't believe that Christian world is right. But, but everything's just on, on hold or up in the air. I'm, I'm, I'm retreating because people grind teeth in the story and he sees the sun. What does it matter if they grind their teeth? Yeah. I think this encouragement to Christians right now. It is to me this morning. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, one of the words I wrote down earlier was Stephen's willingness. And it's exact. I mean, he was willing to suffer. He's willing to, you know, y'all can grind your teeth. You can throw stones, whatever you want. But I know my Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at him. He knows me. I know the story. Um, and that, that just yields such such confidence um, as, as we think about that. And I'll even say just as a, a practical thought, um, if, if for you who are listening, if you're like, man, I, I kind of know the story, but I'd like to know it more. 
Uh, I'll tell you, a, a great simple place to start is go read Acts 7 because Stephen does a great job. He summarizes just biblical like, theology. Spend, spend more time than we have right now, but just like read and see what he says as he recounts the story and its focus upon Jesus. So phenomenal advice. Read the story. If you do that, you're going to have to come to the very last verse because you got to read the whole thing. And I think the last verse is also very revealing. Stephen is strong in the right areas, but yet he remains soft in his heart toward these people. His last words, again, just like Jesus mm-hmm. on the cross, Lord, forgive them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said that, he fell asleep. I, his posture toward the people who were killing him, grinding their teeth at him, remained compassionate. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't weak. This mm-hmm. man was so strong at calling them a stiff-necked people, verse 51. He is, he's strong about the right things, but he remains a soft servant of those outside of the fold. What a testament to us right now. Amen. Amen. Well, people of God, be, be confident in the Lord and let that confidence make you strong and compassionate. Amen. Thank you uh, for calling us this morning who knew aj our schedule was going to say let's look at act seven on november 4th yeah absolutely that's what we need this morning so thanks be to god love you all